We've been talking over the last three weeks about the fact that we are, the church is the people of God. We're the body of Christ. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking together about the fact that this is not something that you can sign up for or pay a membership fee towards. But in order to become part of the body of Christ, the people of God, in order to be called the temple of the Holy Spirit, comes through surrendering all. Surrendering all to Jesus. It means by coming to Jesus, recognising that you have nothing, that your sin is like filthy rags, And there's nothing that you can do to make yourself right before God. So surrender is the only way to come. Realising that you are far from God and need the forgiveness that God offers to you through Jesus' death on the cross. So as we gather around the table, the invitation for you is to come. Come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Come not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord. You love him a little and you'd love to love him more and more and more. Come because he loved you and he gave himself for you. Come to this table and meet afresh the risen Christ for we are his body. The invitation this morning is for you who come surrendered. You who trust in Jesus. Because at this table we remember with thanksgiving the body of Christ bruised, put to death on the cross. We take the bread, we remember that. And as we take the cup, we remember the blood that was shed that brings about our forgiveness of sin as we put our faith in him and accept that by faith. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Life to the full, life in all its abundance is found in faith in Jesus Christ. So come as you are. with thanksgiving for what Christ has done for you, for we are his body. Let's pray together as we come to share this meal. Father God, we we do, we just, uh, as your church, we come together and uh, we just stop and pause at the moment to uh, 
remember uh, the new covenant, um, new relationship that, uh, that you have written on our hearts, Lord, um, and not on stone, that we can have relationship with you and we stop and we pause and we think about what that cost, Lord, and we want to say um, thank you for Jesus and uh, Lord, he left heaven where he, uh, he received worship fit of a divine king. And he came down to earth and he, was, he lived amongst us. He became one of us, Lord. And uh, humiliated. And uh, everything about him, his kingship, his priestlyship, and his, uh, his prophetic role as a prophet was just mocked and scorned as he hung on a cross to die for us. And finally, Lord, he knew what it was to be human truly and dying for us. And the earth just kind of laughed and mocked as the Son of God hung on a cross for us. But Lord, we see that in your great work and power that uh, Jesus was uh, risen from the dead and conquered death and put away our fear our ultimate fears and Lord and from the humiliation that he suffered we see him resurrected back to back to heaven sitting beside you Lord and the seals our faith that we're confident as Christ sits in heaven eternally as a, as a seal and a guarantee of our faith in you Lord so we come together now and we just remember all that he has done for us Lord and we do we bow our knee in worship and honour and remembrance of him. And Lord, we know how much you love us. In these moments, you'll be served together. As you take the bread, why don't you hold on to that cup, have that bread, and eat it as you've served it. And just reflect as you're eating it the fact that Christ died for you personally. His death does not bring uh, forgiveness for everybody. You have to accept it by faith. And as you take this bread, say thank you for him dying for you personally. This new life is yours through faith in Christ. As you take the, the uh, cup, why don't you retain that and we'll drink it together to show that we are his body and together Christ is our Lord and we're one through Christ's death and resurrection. So let's share in this meal together. Thank you, Gary. Well, it is uh, good to see you all and to welcome back those that have been on holidays and it's... Um, Great to be really beginning the year. Many of you would have had kids back in school and this week and kids' church starting up, so it really feels like 2008 has begun, doesn't it? Um, just on the weekend, uh, the pastoral team, the staff and the deacons um, went away. We went on Friday night and Saturday up to um, Latrobe at, on Beechworth, at Beechworth and uh, together we spent Friday night and Saturday morning uh, praying, planning, and also uh, really uh, talking together about the vision that we feel uh, God might be speaking to us about. And uh, you'll be hearing about that 
in um, many different ways in the coming uh, months, but we want to share that with you. But we've been really praying and working together on um, God's, what we feel is God's vision. So it was a great time away, and um, it was just great to be together with the incredible team of leaders that God has placed together in this church. I want to just let you know another thing too. Uh, in the morning as I get up and come down to the church, I always listen to The Light 100.7, and it's a great radio station. If you've never tuned in, 100.7 The Light. And today there's a newsletter available if you'd like to take one as you leave on the right-hand side, just near the door. And on the back of it is a, a place where you can actually support them. They um, really are the only people that will support a place like The Light, a Christian radio station, is Christians. And we just... Uh, love you to consider whether you can uh, you know, be a subscriber to this um, great radio station. They're really looking for more members. And if you could read that, have a look, that would be great as well. You'll get more information in that. Uh, we thought together as a team that it would be great at the very start of this year, 2008, as everyone's back, to let all of you know and all of us that have been here for uh, many years now what our church values are. Especially if you've just come and you've just arrived or you're settling into the area or if you've been just a little bit but you're not really sure what our church stands for, today we're hoping that by the end of this, uh, this message that you will understand what is dear and core to our hearts. Now, values, they're really important things because they shape us, they shape who we are. Uh, they, the family that you actually grew up in would have had a great effect on the things that you valued. And the things that they valued might have actually helped you to be who you are today, or they may have actually hindered you. For instance, if your dad valued sleep and didn't get a job because he valued sleep more than getting a job, then it's not going to be so helpful with you. It's going to impact you today. You're going to have to learn different values than what you were given. Uh, some uh, people think of values in their family. My family had some values that really helped me. And one, um, uh, one thing that we valued, though we never wrote it down or articulated it together, was that as our, our kids, we had to be responsible. And even as a little kid, I was made to be responsible. My parents would say, if you commit to something, Jonathan, you must do it. Don't pull out. Uh, do what you said you would. Uh, some weeks I'd not feel like singing in church. And they'd say, you know, you, you better ring them up and tell them why you're not going to sing. You know, I'm talking up the front, not just down there, you know. But to be a singer in church. And they'd say, you have to ring. You have to tell them. Or I'd RSVP to a party and then feel like, oh, I don't really feel like going now. Mum and Dad would grab the invitation and say, you've got to ring them. You just can't show. That's a value that they thought. Be responsible. As a family, we never sat down, articulated them, but there are some there. I know now that if I start doing my toenails on the dining room table, <laughs> if I try and feed the dog on the kitchen sink, you know, get it prepared, it's something I violated a value. We... Uh, value differently as a church to the things that the world values, don't you think? Like as a church, uh, the things that we value are quite different to what the rest of the world values. 
And uh, when we consider the values, the commonly held ideas, uh, I'm reminded of Paul who encouraged us to be like-minded, to be one in spirit and in purpose. And when we understand the values and we commit to them together, it brings a sense of unity. And we as leaders and together as a church, as we've sought your feedback in the past about these, want all of us to be crystal clear about the values because we feel what we value as a church can only be what God values and what he values for his church as well. And our desire is that every person would understand these values and would not only understand them but seek to live them and to uh, follow them in the way that we seek to do ministry, in the way that we seek to live, in the way that we operate as a church. If you have your news sheet in front of you, right in the news sheet is a bookmark. And on the bookmark are 10 values. So you're going to get all the points in there and, uh, uh, at the very start. But this is what we're going to work through, uh, our, our, our core values. And already it's so appropriate that we've kind of come from communion to this point now because at the very start, our number one core value is the fact that we value Christ-centeredness as a church. We're a Christ-centered church. No two ways about it. Uh, Paul talks about in, in, one, in Colossians chapter 1, he says, you know, Christ is above all and before all. Through him, all things were created and in him, all things hold together. And then he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. We think Christ should always be the head of Wodonga District Baptist Church. This means that Christ is supreme in our church. He's the one who is our Lord He's the one who we have surrendered to. When we sing, I surrender all to Jesus, we are doing exactly what our core values say. Christ is number one. We, we seek to obey him. We seek to trust in him, to follow him in all that we do. We are unashamedly people who bow the knee to Christ before all else. That... Uh, chorus that we sing, I think really sums it up well. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He's my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. That's where we stand as a church. Surrendered to Christ, fed by him, guided by him, directed by him. Jesus was walking on the road to Caesarea Philippi and he'd been with all his disciples and he said to them in Matthew 16 and verses 15 to 18, but what about you, he said to them. Simon Peter said, he said to him, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man. In other words, you didn't buy a ticket to be part of God's church. You didn't work your way into it. You didn't figure it out by logic. He said, you, this, this was not 
revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. It's God who draws people to himself. And he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. What, what he was saying is, Peter, on your confession of faith, those who believe in Jesus Christ and, and proclaim me as Lord and Saviour, make up my church. And we're here together as his church for no other reason apart from the fact that we name the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. That means that those who declare that Jesus is Lord make up his church. It also means that the church is fed and cared for by Christ. Ephesians 5.29 says, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. If Christ is our Lord, if, if, if we're Christ-centred church, he feeds and cares for us. What does this mean practically? It means that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will develop and grow the fruit that demonstrates a life that's abiding in Christ. If you abide in anything else, put your faith in anything else, then the fruit that flows from that is connected to what you're connected to. But if Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, then as we abide in him as our head and as our Lord, out of our lives grow fruit. It means practically that every Christian should be able to test our our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. We should be able to say that. Every person who trusts in Jesus at, at Wodonga District Baptist Church should be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and my Saviour means that followers of Christ, we seek to understand God's word and the Bible. Why? Because it points to Christ. It tells us about him, who he is and what he's done and how he wants us to live. And it helps us know how to have him as Lord of our lives daily. Baptism is a public expression of an inward surrender to Christ. And when we do that, people are baptised and publicly proclaim Christ is Lord. If you haven't done that, there's information about this Wednesday, baptism classes at my place and more information about that. There's just two classes to do. This is what it means to be valuing our Christ-centeredness. Communion is a place where we regularly affirm that Christ is Lord. And the church meeting is a place where those who trust in Jesus Christ have been baptised and are part of his church seek together the mind of Christ. Because Christ is Lord, it means I don't make all the decisions. Those who trust in Christ together seek his mind. And he leads us as we seek his will. So no one person is determining what we do, not even the whole diaconate. Uh, But together, the church meeting make the most important decisions in our church. They delegate authority to different people, but the meeting is the place where we seek his mind. Christ-centred. Question is, do you know Jesus? Is he the one you bow the knee to? Is he the one whose voice you listen to most in this life? Because there are so many voices that we can listen to. We value Christ-centeredness. Now, if you just go like this, 
You're not obedient, are you? <laughs> Why don't we try this? You don't have to, but if you're into this kind of stuff, let's do this together. Christ-centeredness, that's our first value, okay? Pretty simple, that first one. By the end, you'll know them all. The second value that we have is that we are biblically based. So we're Christ-centered, we're biblically based. We value a biblical basis in everything that we do. The Bible is God's word, and it's our primary, the, the primary way for us knowing God and for knowing God's revelation to us. When I read the Bible, God speaks to me. I don't know about you, but if you've been reading through uh, Leviticus, if you're going through the, the daily readings, just in the last couple of days, we've been reading together about uh, the guilt offering, the grain offering. Uh, we've been reading through the things that the people did when they had sinned against God. And as I re- realised that, I, I, just, I was hit uh, when, as I was doing my readings yesterday, just saying, wow, boy, it was costly to sin back then, wasn't it? I mean, uh, you would have to take a, a sh- uh, one of the unblemished lambs and give it over and be sacrificed, you know? And then uh, that would cost you and your family. And then if you didn't have enough money, you'd, you'd get pigeons and they'd do that and, and you'd have to give grain and it was costly. And as I was reading there in Leviticus, I was reminded about the costly death of Jesus Christ. And we don't have to sacrifice those because Christ did it once and for all. Again, it reminded me how much God hates sin and how much Christ suffered for my death. See, no matter where you read, God speaks to us through his word. And his word guides us and leads us. Uh, In fact, 2 Timothy 3 and 16 to 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Wow. No wonder we're Bible-based. Because God guides us and teaches us and leads us as we wrestle with his word. The Bible is powerful and it changes Lives. It changes my life as I read it. It will change your life as you read it too. This is what it says in Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the uh, sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. If I understand God's word and if I apply it to my life, God can bring me life to the full. Joshua 1.8 says, study this book of instruction, study it continually, meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything in it. Then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. Knowing God's word from memory, uh, hiding it in my heart, helps me when I face temptation. You know, uh, this is what uh, the psalmist wrote, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word guides me. Remember the psalmist also wrote, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And you know what? If you want to violate our church's values, put it on the shelf and don't read it. I mean, that would be something for us 
that we would just grieve about because we're a church that's Bible-based. If you see us doing things as a church that violate what is clear in God's word, we want to be the first to know about it because this is our uh, primary way of knowing God and his will. So we're Christ-centred. We value biblical basis. And we value worship. Okay, you want to try all that together? We value Christ-centeredness, a biblical basis, and we value worship. Worship means, uh, we value worship and we long to worship him in every facet of our lives. Not just Sunday mornings, but in every facet of our lives is what we we want to worship God in. Um, Worship means simply loving God. It, It has anything to do with whatever brings pleasure to God. The church actually exists to love God. That's what our church exists to do. When a religious expert in the law came to Jesus and he asked in Matthew 22 and verses 36 to 38, he said, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your mind. And he said, This is the first and greatest commandment. See, Worship is primary for God's church. The first commandment is to love God, um, to worship him, to love him is, is crucial. In fact, this is affirmed by Christians not just recently but right down the ages. The shorter Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him. Does anyone know how it finishes? Forever. Good on you. So if you're wondering why, you're, why you exist, what, what's in, what God wants you to do with your life, this is it. The very reason you were born is to worship God. When you worship God, he, he, he's delighted. When you were born... He, he, he was thrilled. He, he, he rejoiced. He loves you and he made you and his desire is that you would know him and worship him. And God is seeking worshippers. Remember Jesus came in John 4 and he came to the woman at the well and he sat down at the well and he talked to, to her. And Jesus said to her that the Father is seeking worshippers. So he's looking for people who will surrender, who will love him, who will worship him with every facet of their life. And he's looking for people who will bring glory to him. And the way he wants us as a church to do that is worship that's genuine. It says, worship the Lord with your spirit and truth is what Jesus said the Father is looking for. Worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I think that means spirit, genuine worship. Love the Lord with all your heart and soul. It's coming right from who you are. You're really engaging with God and loving him from the depths of who you are. When Jesus said that, he wasn't talking about worshipping God with the Holy Spirit. He was talking about our own spirits. And he was saying, God made us in his image with a spirit designed to communicate with him. 
Worship is your spirit, my spirit, responding to God's spirit. And when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, that's what he meant. Genuine, authentic worship. It's heartfelt. But also he says, uh, Jesus said to the woman, he said, the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And we must never separate spirit from just responding to how we feel or, or, you know, and creating the God we're worshipping in our own, whatever we think he, he is or who he is, just making it up. No, we, we worship him genuinely and heartfelt, but with spirit and truth, truth as well, God's word. So it's not our own thinking. We're worshipping him with a biblical basis, understanding who he is from the scripture. And we're, we're, we're worshipping him with our mind as well as our soul and heart. Finally, when it comes to worship, God wants us to worship in a way that is practical. There's an old African proverb that says, when you pray, move your feet. And it's true that worship, uh, we can't worship God and say we love you and then ignore needs right around us. The true worship is to feed the sick and the poor and the hungry. Uh, Jesus says that true worship is to actually surrender wholehearted to give everything over to him. We value worship. Some of the things that we do together is that we value this gathering because it's the one time in the week where everyone comes together to worship God. Now, it happens all through the week, but like a big hippo who, they only come up for breath. No, I'm not saying you like hippos. <laughs> but, you know, hippos can be under the water for something like 14 minutes before they come up and take a breath. And so I remember us going down to Werribee Open Zoo, and we were sitting there in the, in the truck, and the lady said, look, we've been here for a little while now. It'll be coming up any minute. And we waited and we waited and we waited, you know, for this because we're timing how long. And then up came the hippo for a breath. And I think this is what Sunday is about for the church. We come together and we sit visit. But that's, this is not the church on Sunday. You are the body of Christ all the time. But when we come together, this is important too because we're all together. And we really, as a church, want to ensure that our worship when we're together is relevant, that it's contemporary. To, to the day that we're living in, that it's creative, that it honours God, that it's in spirit and in truth. We want to make services that are, are memorable and inspiring so, so you can help live your life according to God's word. You know, every part of the service is worship. From the very beginning to the end, we're giving this to God. Everything that we do, we want to bring pleasure to God right through our week, not just on Sundays. Honouring God is giving him all that we have. Giving to God is part of our worship as well. I want to ask this morning, are you a worshipper of God? Do you worship him? Have you realised that that's why you were made? Have you understood that he wants you to worship him? Are you thirsting for him? Are you hungry just to know more of him and to love him and to... When we worship, do you engage heart, soul and mind with God? Not just here, but everywhere. 
We're a church that values worship. We're a church that value prayer as well. Christ-centered, biblically-based worship we value, and we value prayer. We're a church that's devoted to prayer. You know why? Because we're dependent on God. And when you're devoted to prayer, it shows that you depend on God. You see, I remember a time when my little daughter was trying to get off a, a, a jump, a jump around. I said, would you like some help? She said, no, I can do it myself, Dad. I can do it myself. I said, all right, you know, just leave it. She struggled again trying to get it off. And then in the end she said, Dad, can you help me, you know? And actually just speaking to our father and asking for his help, his wisdom, direction, is just showing that we depend on him and not ourselves. We're not saying, I can do it myself, God. So I don't need to talk to you, but it's it's crying out to him and asking him. As a church, we just long that what would be true of our church would be that Jesus would look at us and say, my house is a house of prayer. You know, when uh, Jesus uh, went into the temple, he saw thieves and, and robbers and people that had just come and they were people that were trying to make a quick buck and they were having stalls and stands. We're all right there in the house of God. And Jesus said, is it not written? This is Mark 11 and verse 17. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And right at the very heart of God was saying, I want my house to be a house of prayer. I want my people to be those that depend on me, that pray. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians verses, uh, chapter 5 and verses 16 to 18, be joyful always. Give thanks, uh, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying God's will for you in Jesus Christ is that you pray continually. It means live a life of prayer. Does that mean get up in the morning, have a quiet time? Yeah, of course, pray to him. Does it mean uh, pray here at church? Yeah. Does it mean pray as you drive into church, just to work and wondering what you're going to do in the day and you've got all these worries about? Yes, of course, just talk to him. Talk to him all the time. Let him know your worries, your concerns. Just have an ongoing daily conversation with him. You know, we believe at this church that prayer is essential. It's our act of dependence when we pray because we need his power. We need his wisdom. We need his answers. We need to know God. It's vital that we communicate with him. Some of the things that we do practically is we provide an opportunity for people to pray after every service. If God's been speaking to you or challenging you, there are going to be people at the front of each service who will be able to pray for you. Another thing is um, we, we have blue card responses every week and there's a team that pray for whatever other requests that you put for prayer. So if you have people who are sick, there will be a group of people that will be praying for you during this week and we'll go on. We want to carry your prayers as a church together. We, we send out an email each week to the small group leaders. And if you just want to receive that and you're not a small group leader, we'll send that to you too. And you can just write that on the blue card. Send me the prayer notes, please, and put your email details on there. Uh, tonight, we're going to be going from the very uh, 9.30 right through the whole night. And in your news sheets is a, is a pro- timetable of all that. 
So you can look there and you can say, hey, tonight, look at that, five o'clock, I think, revival. <gasps> That's worth getting out of bed for. And boy, imagine if you... Four o'clock, Lisa, four o'clock. Greg, Lisa's husband's taking that one. And I mean, imagine if we, imagine if we all came here at four o'clock and revival did break out. You might say, oh, well, mission, I'm passionate about that. Mission, I only come at, at five, I think that one is. Uh, there's all these different things that you can be part of. And we're going to send out to everyone who we have your emails the schedule for the week too. So you can know there's each area, different areas of our church are being prayed for in the morning and evening prayers this week from 6.30 to 7.30 to 8 at night. But you know why we do this? Because we value prayer. And we depend on God. And we want him to lead and guide us. We value prayer. We long for our church to be known as a house of prayer. Our leaders, the deacons, meet every week for prayer. 6.30, in this room here, we pray together every week, praying for our church. Value five, we, are, we value loving Christian community. So here we go. We're Christ-centred, biblically-based. We value worship. We value prayer. We value loving Christian community. And this is that. Isn't that great? If you turn around, it looks like you actually are getting a hug. See that? <laughs> you can try that for fun at home, okay? <laughs> but you know why we value loving Christian community? It's because uh, God values uh, uh, that. And he longs for us to be a group of people who love one another deeply and who uh, are marked by a love for each other. In, uh, God wants us and calls us to live a life of love. Look what it says in, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. This is what Paul writes. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. You know, whenever we serve anyone, whenever we help anyone, whenever we uh, care for somebody else, we're demonstrating the love of God. And when Jesus was asked, well, who's my neighbour? Who's the one I should be sharing? He, he said, well, we love everyone, even our enemies, even the ones that are far from us or uh, like that. And, you know, my hope is that when people think of our church, they think of a loving community. Uh, God calls us to love our brothers and sisters in this family, uh, love one another, um, he wants us to show it to those who are already part of the body of Christ. Look what he says in Galatians 6.10. This is what it says, it says there. Therefore, wherever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. And then in John 13 and verse 34, Jesus said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other. I have, just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I want to just show in that verse there, Jesus said that this is a new commandment that I'm giving you that you love one another. And we're to love one another just as Christ has loved us. Okay? How did Christ love us? Well, he loved us through a humble servant. Service, He said, for the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Remember, he washed the disciples' feet. 
he demonstrated that love is shown in serving one another. How else did Jesus love? Well, he loved by giving them his time. Remember, he said to the disciples, come follow me. And together, as they spent time together, they learned all about him. By spending time with one another, by serving one another, we show our love in the way Jesus showed his love to us. Another way that he loved us is that he gave himself sacrificially. Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. He, he loved sacrificially. And if we love others sacrificially too, what a difference. What, what a way it's going to show our love. And finally in that verse it says, if you love one another, then, then you'll prove to the world that you are my disciples. People will look at our church and say, that church is the most loving church. People are caring for me. They're spending time. They're looking out for me. Gee, this is incredible. And the world will know that we're his disciples if we love one another. How does that happen? How do we try and do that together? Well, in our services, we try and demonstrate that we love you and we try and demonstrate that we love you because God loved us together. Small groups are a primary place where authentic Christian community can take place, where you pray for each other, where you uh, provide hospitality to each other, where you share God's word together in a way that uh, encourages and upbuilds one another. Uh, we provide pastoral care. We have a, a really well-organised way of loving one another by caring for people. Um, we, we provide Christian counselling for people who are hurting we, we, because we love them, we do that. We provide supportive groups to help people grow because we love you. Life force, marriage courses, uh, things that help us with our finance, parenting courses. This is to help us all grow so as a demonstration of love for each other. We love to be generous to those who are hurting and need it most in our family. We care for people that are at the very struggling, really deep, deeply. And we demonstrate our love to the community through the food bank, through counselling, through special services, like our Christmas music musical is just saying to the whole church, to the whole community, we, we love you. And when it comes to Easter, Christmas, all those are trying to demonstrate that God loves us and we love you. We value, uh, we value loving Christian community. The other thing we value is growth. Do you notice my muscles? <laughs> Sorry, I said... The, the truth is that God wants us to, be like, to grow to be like Jesus. So we value growth here. Our church is really passionate about helping you grow strong, to keep growing, to be strong and mature. Uh, God makes healthy things grow. That's how he made things. Can you imagine if you had a baby and you brought it home and, and as you feed the baby, you, you rejoice in the baby's birth, you, as you start to feed the baby and care for the baby, you found that it wasn't growing. Who thinks that would be alarming? Uh, I mean, it would be, wouldn't it? Because we know that the way God has made things, that when they're healthy, they grow. And God wants us to grow. He wants Christians who are just little brand new babies who have just started in the faith to grow stronger, 
to get habits and disciplines and, and things that will help them grow, to start reading their Bible a little bit every day, to start looking for a small group that they can be part of, to, to be baptised, to become church members, to start to now wrestle with how this might affect a habitual sin that they've had and they've never found victory. We want to help you break through those things to grow so that you can be like the Psalm 1 where there's a tree that's planted by streams of water and its roots are so deep down that it's bringing in all the nutrients from the water. You know, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners or stand in the seat of mockers or, 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 or do all those other things that are not of God. But he finds delight in the Lord of the Lord and he studies it day and night. He meditates on it. He delights in that. And he's like a tree planted by a stream, bearing fruit in and out of season. Oh, there's a picture of someone who's grown strong. We want to be a church that helps each and every person grow. What do we want to make you, help you grow to be like? Grow to be like Jesus. We want you to become more and more like him. Romans 8, 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to be, become like his son, so that God would be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. God chose you to become like Jesus. Now, we will never be a God. Let's get that clear. You're not going to become Jesus. There's only one God. But God wants you to become godly in character. God is, God's ultimate goal for you and I is not our comfort here on earth, but he wants, us, he wants to transform our character. He wants you with your personal personality, your abilities, your gifts, who you are, to be transformed into Christ's character. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like someone who has the Beatitudes. We looked at in the Sermon on the Mount. Someone who, uh, God blesses, how blessed are those who uh, recognise that they're, they're poor in spirit, who mourn, who are humble, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, whose hearts are pure, who work for peace, who are persecuted, for doing the right thing. The, the kind of people that we want people to become like and grow to be like are those that display the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that they're abiding in the vine and the fruit that comes off are things that is talked about in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. God is wanting us to be the kind of ones that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, who demonstrate that love that keeps going, that keeps no records of wrong, that never gives up. He wants us to be a church that grows. We value it. Service. We're going to just jump through these last little ones very quickly now. Service. This is it. We roll up our sleeves, okay? You want to just quickly try them? Let's go. We're Christ-centred. Biblically based, we worship God, we love prayer, we value prayer, we're loving Christian community, we're those that want to grow, yeah, with me, and then the next one is service. So we just roll up our sleeves. Why don't we just do that like that? Roll up our sleeves. Now, 1 Peter 4, verse 10, it says that God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts, and we're to use them to serve one another. 
God wants you to serve him. And together, our desire as a church is we offer humble service to each other by using our abilities, our skills, our resources and spiritual gifts for God's glory. We were made to serve. The reason you are here and you know Jesus is so you can serve. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, the other thing, we were saved to serve. Uh, for God saved us, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, to live a holy life. And he did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. He saved us and called us to a life of where we can live a holy life, where we can serve others. This is what God's calling us to do. And what that means for us as a church is that every, we believe that every follower of Christ has a gift and is to be used in humble service. Every gift is important, as we've talked about. None are better than others, so don't get arrogant about your gift. Every member is a minister, not just one minister here, but many of you, all, all of us who trust in Christ are ministers. And that a great church is not built on the abilities of a few, but on the sacrifice of many. Our greatness, our, our effectiveness is really dependent not on me just working harder, it's on all of us doing our bit together. And that will build an incredible church where we serve in that way. We're a church that promotes a deep desire within our people to serve. We always are trying to let you know of opportunities and we believe that we're a body and we're not right until we're all serving. We want to serve in a way that's excellent too. Question, are you serving God as part of the church? Do you understand that God wants you to make a contribution with your gifts? We value service because God has. There's so many things because God values service. There's so many needs in our news sheet. Just read them and pray. God, what are you calling me to do? That we value integrity. How do we do it? Is it on our right heart or left? Something like that. Anyway, we value integrity. Is that right? Great. We strive to be a church that is open and transparent. Years ago, I read a story about a, a, a tree, a gigantic oak tree, right in the middle of its uh, town centre. And the tree was the pride of all the townspeople. People thought it was just fantastic. It had been there for years and years. And many people were born after it was planted. And they just thought the tree would keep growing for, forever after they died. And then one day, the storm wind cracked this tree, and it split open and revealed a trunk just full of disease. And it was a symbol of strength. And yet inside, it was weak and vulnerable. And just thinking about that really sums up what we don't want to happen uh, in our leaders, in our church, in every area. So therefore, we just long to live a life of integrity. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Live up to what God has called you to do. Uh, Jesus said, may your yes be yes and your no 
be no? What does it mean for us here practically as a church? Well, if we know that someone's not happy with us, that we've hurt someone or that there's something that's wrong, we need to go to them and seek to reconcile in love. Uh, we, we refuse to gossip and speak negatively. That lacks integrity. If we're not willing to talk to the person in love, then we shouldn't gossip about them in you know, undermining. So if people talk to us about other people, we just say, no, we don't want to hear. We welcome rebuke, correction, teaching, because this, when this is done in Christian love, it helps us grow. So we don't pretend that we haven't got problems. Most of us have got enough troubles. And when someone in love helps us through that, it's fantastic. We encourage, uh, we care enough to talk with people who are Christ followers um, and who are not living in a way that honours God. We really try to talk to people uh, to help them when they're not living in that way. We take seriously leaders in our church who are not living lives of integrity. That is a big deal for us and we really want to uh, uh, be with, help leaders um, you know, work through that, own that and grow through that. Our kids' church leaders, integrity means that all our kids' church leaders, all our youth leaders are please check and we care because we want to be right up above reproach in that. Nine, we value evangelism. We have a passion to share the good news of Jesus. So I think we said evangelism is this one, didn't we? Can anyone remember? This is what evangelism is. We're telling people about Jesus, Okay. Um, the truth is that every single person matters to God and they all should matter to us as well. Every person has a role to play in sharing their faith in our church. You know Jesus if you're a follower of Christ and you are a, 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 someone who can take that message to people in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are. Our local community is our mission field and we not only limit it to our local community but right around the world. We're trying to reach those Yao people in Malawi at the moment. Uh, Jesus came and he said to his disciples, go into all the world. And we feel that we want to take the gospel message to all the world. Uh, the greatest way that we can take the message to others is by having an authentic, surrendered life. And people seeing that, that we love Jesus. We train People, we try and train you in sharing your faith through messages. We, we, our services, we want to make them clear and understandable so people that you invite will be able to understand it. And we, we offer regular opportunities for people to respond through the gospel. Value 10. We value welcome. We value welcome. We welcome all people, no matter who they are or what they've done. All people are made in God's image and are precious to him. Uh, all people are accepted. We, we want to accept all people for who they are, remembering that our church is a hospital for sinners, not a club for saints. Uh, Jesus commanded that we love God and love our neighbour, and our neighbour is anyone who needs our help, he said. And our love is unconditional. And everything is done in love regardless of where people are in their spiritual walk. A church that is welcoming, has loving relationships, grace and acceptance. Does that mean that we just accept sin? Oh, no. We're not saying that we just accept sin. But what we are saying is how can people turn from sin without knowing Jesus? 
And they need to know the love of God and need to know Jesus. They need to come to him. And, and how can they do that is the very first thing they say is, you know, well, you've got to get your life right and then come to Jesus. Well, if your life is perfect and right, you don't need Jesus. Do you see? Everybody needs Jesus because no one has their life right. We want to welcome people and hope that they can come to know Jesus and be transformed. Every time we welcome someone, we're welcoming someone who Jesus says uh, could be him. He says, when you welcome the people that are far from me, it's like you're welcoming me. I want to ask you as we close, these are our church values. These are what we stand by. So if you're a leader, ministry leader area, I'd love you just to take that uh, bookmark and put it in your Bible and just keep saying, Lord, how can you help me grow in my Christ-centeredness as, a, as an individual? If you're someone who's uh, serving or part of our church family, I'd love you to do that as you read the Bible and as you look at that. Say, am I Christ-centered? Am I biblical-based? Am I worshipping? Am I praying? Am I serving? What can I do? Because church, together, what we value is what we're committed to. And these values are ones that we feel God wants us to have because they're from his heart. So as we close today, let's pray and ask that God would help us each to live these values. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for the way that you have spoken to us and for new people that come. It's just so great to welcome people. And we pray that people would quickly see that Jesus, you are our Lord. That everything that we do, we seek to do it according to what your word says. And God has helped us be that kind of community that can live for you in everything that we do. And this we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'd just love you to take out the blue card that's in the news sheet.